radio personalities, budgeting, and how to not feel the January blues on this episode of Gimme Some Truth. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. So today we're talking about the fantastic, exciting, can't get enough of a topic of budgeting and personal cash flow. You know what really gets me going is a good budget. (laughs) Well-constructed. Not even the budget. The good conversation about a budget. That's true. Yes. Yeah. It's it's not the, the favorite topic of every... Client, but however, but however, I'll try that again. However, uh, we get that conversation uh, quite a bit this time of year with clients where they are wondering how much they should spend. They should uh, save more money because it's the end of the year. They're wondering, you know, how much the holidays should cost them going into the following year. Property taxes, all that good stuff kind of happens at this time. Uh, Not to mention those that have to pay in for income taxes or know that they do. Quarterly payments, I mean, there's a lot going on this time of year. Well, that, and I don't think that it really depends on how well-off or not well-off somebody is. Right. It seems like throughout our client base that right. it's more of a personality thing, I would say, than it is a net worth thing, uh, which I find to be interesting. Uh, we have clients that have you know, north of $1 million easily in investable assets. They can be relatively young, and they're all about budgeting. And we've got uh, others that are just not at all. So I think it's more of that sort of... Um, I don't know, maybe an engineering mindset likes to do it. I think it also has to do with your upbringing as well. If Was that something that was instilled at you at an early age that you have to um, do budgeting and follow some sort of uh, methodology or spreadsheet? I, I will say, too, and this, is, this uh, will not be known by anybody else other than me in the booth, but um, your microphone screen is covering like half your face, which is interesting because then when I look over, it looks like, Kind of like you have a Phantom of the Opera mask on, like covering half of your face, which either that or like a pirate. I'm going so, yin yang. So that's so that's what I that's the image that I have today. So so when there's a pause every time I need to start talking, it's because I'm trying to like reorient myself that that you're not a pirate. I feel that they're big screens, but it Our, really does help the popping. It does help. Well, I think that the. The, the quagmire for people this time of year is they feel an obligation to spend money. They feel an obligation because of the holidays and because coming into the end of the year that, you know, kind of money has to be spent. I mean, we try to do a little bit of, of just general research because it's, it's difficult to, to kind of nail down how much people spend on the holidays. Um, we went to the um, somewhat uh, reliable, maybe, maybe reliable is not the best word, Investopedia um, kind of, it's kind of the USA Today of uh, of websites, research websites. But their projection I would that it's the Wikipedia, it's the, only with investments. What? <laughs> it's good that you cleared that up. I don't, that's <laughs> hard for people to understand. Their projection, according to a Gallup study, is that in 2018, uh, people were going to spend about 920 dollars. Uh, in holiday spending, which, you know, again, just to kind of give people a heads up, I mean, it's a decent amount of money. You start to get close to a number with a, co- with a comma in it, you know, that's, that's moving the needle a little bit for most households. And I think it's safe to say that uh, the wealth factor plays a big part into how much you're going to spend. So, for example, wages have been increasing over the past uh, few years, and the wages have, have seemingly increased at a rate better than inflation as well. So people are feeling pretty good about that and the stock market being up. Uh, there's that wealth effect and 
they probably are going to spend more than they normally have. I have noticed too that finally you're actually seeing uh, the impact of Black Friday uh, in stores being lessened and the online uh, spending is a lot higher. And I know that's something that seems obvious, but it actually bared out in the numbers this year. Mm. Uh, so early Black Friday uh, tallies were basically saying that people are spending a lot more time online or rather than in store, and the the actual Black Friday events are becoming lessened in person. Yeah, it's. I think we're all kind of somewhat becoming numb to it. You know, for the last few years, it was it was who could open the earliest, and then and then it started opening on Thanksgiving itself, and so it just almost seems like it gets spread out too over like, you know, the entire weekend as opposed to just you know just one four hour. It starts window. like November first now. It seems yeah, like right. It's, it's ridiculous. ridiculously long, but our recommendation on this um, is, is really knowledge as opposed to. Um, uh, you know, actual tangible things to do or to not to do. In other words, just be cognizant of what you're spending. If you want to track it, that's not a bad idea. Try to set yourself kind of a target. Um, at least have something there so that it's not, um, that not every purchase is justified by, well, it's the holidays, therefore I'm going to buy this for this person, right? So if we have at least a projection to say, I'm trying to stick within a total budget of X and then, you know, somewhat tracking your, even just, you know, round up to the next $50 kind of thing of tracking how much you've spent so far, some level of, of, of wherewithal um, as to how much you've spent to this point, how much you think you're going to spend before it's all said and done helps to make it so that when it comes January 15th, you don't look back and go, how in the, you know what, did I spend, you know, twice as much as I wanted to spend on the holidays? And then you're you're already off on the next year on the wrong foot when it comes to well now how am I going to make my IRA contributions or how am I going to increase the amount going to my four hundred one k because the four hundred one k limits went up or um, just kind of that that malaise that people feel in January I think a lot of that is because they just didn't have a a good grasp on how much a they wanted to spend on the holidays and how much they had spent to that point to to kind of budget their money from that point that point forward. And as you look at 2020, I think one of the most important things is trying to find out a way to set up your budget and, you know, so that things aren't a surprise to you. So for example, if you're planning out your 2019 spending right now, that's probably a bad time to do it in December. Uh, so if you are saying, you know, how much did I spend on gift and how much gifts and how much is my budget for gifts? And my answer to that is I haven't tracked either of those. That's probably bad. Uh, so for 2020, make a note of yourself. You know, also things too that come up at the end of the year, if you've got charitable contributions that you're giving and like you alluded to, Nate, property taxes, I'm consistently surprised for the people that do not escrow their taxes, how property taxes are somehow a surprise each year and about how they seemingly didn't budget for that. Um, generally, we say, you know, if you're in your earning years and you have to call us to make a distribution out of your taxable account for your property taxes, something is probably not going right for your budget because that means you have not accounted for that. And every year, property taxes hit. That is not a surprise. So uh, just going into some way of tracking uh, is beneficial. I talked to Mitch about this. Mitch actually said that he's an old old school like spreadsheet guy. That's how he kind of budgets his money. Um, I know that others use software programs for this. Uh, I've used mint.com, uh, just the mint app on my phone 
in the past. I've tried some other tools with uh, UW Credit Union had a budgeting tool. Uh, and then there's something also that I've heard really good things about, which is you need a budget, Y-N-A-B.com. Uh, uh, that's been successful for some people as well. And uh, that carries a little bit of cost to it, but it gives a little bit more of categorization and uh, it has a little bit more learning power than some of these other tools. So those are all things to consider uh, when sort of using that sort of envelope and saying, how much money do I have for each one of these sorts of uh, activities? Yeah, especially the ones that are once a year things, i.e. property taxes, um, holiday season, and then if you are somebody that has to uh, make quarterly estimates for taxes, that's a four-time year thing. But I think what trips people up are the things that are not monthly, because it seems like people do a pretty good job if it's a monthly bill, i.e. car payment, house payment, um, you know, student loan, whatever it might be. Uh, even things like, you know, utilities and that, it, it's consistent for us because it's on a monthly basis. But the stuff that's not monthly, we tend not to save monthly, which that is what causes the problem. So if you know that you're going to spend roughly $1,000, say, uh, for holiday spending, it's not that difficult. Just start setting $80 aside in January of the year for December of that year for your holiday spending. $80 times 12 is $960. There's your holiday spending. You now have the money sitting in your account come December 1st, you're good to go. So it's not a matter of, you know, spending the money in December and then trying to figure out in the first quarter, how am I going to pay back what I bought? Or how am I going to pay off my credit card? Or how am I going to pay back my emergency fund that I basically took from? You're, you're being proactive. You're saying, I'm going to set this up so that January, February, March, April, all the way through the year, I'm going to put $80 in this account. There we go. I got my money. Same thing for property taxes. I mean, it's what escrow does. All escrow is doing is bumping up your mortgage payment and then setting that money aside for you. Well, if you don't have escrow, then it's your responsibility to set the money aside. You know, set the, set aside the three or $400 a month or $500 a month, whatever it is. And then when taxes come for your property, you have it there for you. So we have to start stretching. We have to start looking at these things as, 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 um, monthly obligations and not one-time-year obligations because that's how we go so sideways. I think one of those uh, that I have personally that I know about is once a year I get a uh, life insurance bill. Uh, some people yeah, pay their property right. casually that way. Uh, so going back into those months when you paid that, write that dollar amount that down and note that, hey, if I want to amortize this over a monthly basis, uh, put that into your budget or account for that in that month and just have savings set aside for that. Right. Just know that that's accounted for. Uh, the other one that I like that I know we hear about all the time, Nate, is home repairs. Right. Uh, you know, you got to set aside some sort of budget for home repairs. And even if you don't use in that year, you know, that might be a, a, one of those times, too, where we advocate actually setting up a separate savings account. Well, that, I was just going to bring that up. You're, you are an advocate of that, are you not? You're, you're kind of a multi-savings account guy? I am. I am. Uh, I have a... You know, kind of a car slush fund. I had a, when we had, we're not escrowing property taxes. I had a property tax fund. Uh, I had a home project fund as well. Uh, and then our general savings. So yeah, I'm an advocate of that. I think that that keeps your mind on the goal a little bit more. And if you ever have to take a withdrawal from that account, it feels a little bit more painful, you know, especially if it's not for that purpose. So if you got to take out something on out of my house fund uh, that I'm saving for a, a, a basement remodel, for example, and I've got to take it out of that basement remodel fund to do a car maintenance thing because it's unexpected, that hurts, and you feel a little bit more like you have to replenish those funds. Um, and I think there's a lot of 
positivity towards that, uh, being able to see those dollars there. Yeah, and we're we're always an advocate of use whatever method works. uh, As long as the method works, we don't, uh, as advisors, we don't care what the method is. Um, Same idea. We get asked the question a lot of people that are are getting into relationships or, or, or getting married combining finances that kind of thing of you know, how should how should we do this we've never had to do this before our answer always is you know whatever method works is the one you should go with because if you find a method that works then don't worry about the method just keep doing the method but the idea of spreading your budget out on a monthly basis is probably the most effective way of doing it and an effective way of guarding against running into problems or running into these one time of year things, which tends to just flip people's budget around. Even a small one, like, like the water bill, the water bill comes, it's not every month, right? This is a one that always kind of jumps out to me too. It comes like quarterly, I think, or something like that. Or it's always kind of a funny one, um, that, uh, you know, that just kind of pops up. Um, or in some cases, um, like auto insurance can be property casualty insurance can also be kind of a once a year, you know, on a quarterly basis. So, um, just take the time, look at your budget, understand what comes out every month. Generally, people that have a, a monthly obligation are fine making that payment, but understand what doesn't come out monthly. Start setting up goal, you know, projections for that. Take that number, divide it by 12, and start saving that money now. Uh, it's just a better way to do it. And what you'll find is that if you do the same thing with your Roth contributions, with your savings, with your 401k contributions, you will just get used to it and then it will become habit. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Um, you know, the, I've used this analogy before. It's kind of a weird one, but the reason why people let floss floss is because they created a habit to start flossing and then they just kept doing it. It's not a matter of they could do it and other people couldn't do it. Everybody can do it. It's just those have set the habit to do it and those have not. And so when it comes to saving money or budgeting, it just comes down to do you want to create this habit or do you want to be surprised every year and stay on this hamster wheel of blow out your budget in the holidays and and around the first of the year, spend the next three or four months, um, January, February, March, trying to figure it out, and then you're right back on the same loop again. people have to start breaking that loop. Otherwise, the uh, the outcome is not going to be any different. I'll add one. I'm going to say there's a high correlation between the people that don't budget and the same people that are rushing and uh, postmarking their uh, taxes on yeah, April 15th. Exactly, right. Or doing that extension every year all right. the way to October 15th, which for Nate and I, uh, it drives us crazy uh, if we see when we see habits like that. And it's it's just because it's a delay of fiscal responsibility when right. somebody is doing that our taxes are due the same day every year they don't change the date they don't change well no that's not true sometimes they change the date and make it even later that's they true give you a couple extra days if it falls on like a holiday or if there's whatever holidays are, are you know on there or falls on a weekend they give you extra time they do sometimes it's the 16th or 17th and if you can't get your taxes in by then uh barring any sort of okay let's say there's an oddity in there we get it sometimes there are oddities but 95 percent of the time you're not going to have anything like that. Just get your taxes in. Get them done. Don't pay the extra money to the CPA because you decided to delay till April 8th, and then you stress out that poor accountant. I mean, man. And the same thing with finances, too. I mean, you know, there's no reason why a lot of this stuff should should sneak up on us. It's because we just we, we put it away in the drawer and don't address it. And the best time to address it is when it's cold outside in Wisconsin and there's no sunlight. Like right now, I'm looking outside. It is gray. There is no wind. It is just 
awful outside. It feels like Mars. I don't know what Mars is the climate's like, but that's what it feels like right now. Whatever Mars is like is what it feels like right now in Wisconsin. And yeah, what, what are you doing with your time today anyways? You're not going to do anything. It's terrible outside. That's right. Although I got to tell you, Nate, over the weekend, I went and I hit balls at five tents. Wow. And first of all, I did the, um, I did the simulator, okay. which I got to say, first of all, was way off. <laughs> As far as, as far as like yardages, you're, and you're seven hundred like two thirty. Like whoa, whole it was, something no, happened it was just the opposite. I think my seven like one hundred thirty yards, but um, <laughs> which is not, five degrees outside. You know that, right? Well, right, yeah. And there was a little bit of breeze, but it was fine. Uh, and then I had to hit it way out to the right because of how the way it was all set up. It was, it was jacked up. Nonetheless, I don't care. It was great, and I got the itch. And I got to tell you, the heaters at five tenths over you, I was hot. I had like, it's a great setup now. It's a great it's a setup. Great setup over there. Yeah. If you haven't had a chance and you want to scratch that edge, Valuetons is a great thing to do in the winter. And they got the little sweets now. And so we did, yeah. we, we, we rented a suite. You yep. get like a $50 beverage credit or whatever, or not a beverage, but a food credit and stuff. And we brought the kids and the kids got to hit. And then uh, my buddy Will and I, we just got yeah. to hit there and play yeah. a little round and it was great. Yeah. I mean, it's. Wisconsin's winters, man. It's it's brutal to try to get through it. This is not a fun thing. Like Vitan's a fun thing, obviously. Well, then put that in your budget. Put that right? in your budget. There right? you go. I'm going to bring it all back and say, put some entertainment, especially in the winter, in your budget, because you know you're not just going to sit at home the whole time. You right. got to go places, and it's going to cost money to do that. But in again, the summer you can just go outside. Thing, but you know, that's a good one though. Entertainment, such a, it's a, such a funny thing within a budget. People never think think to budget stuff like that, and then that's where they go sideways on their budget. You know, a concert here, or a dinner there. Or, you know, whatever, a weekend trip over here, and all of a sudden their budget's pulling for the month because they had no money set aside for They didn't allocate for that at all. Well, some of these concerts, too, are very expensive now, and you it's actually brutal. do have to budget it. I mean, you and I both it's like brutal. to go to concerts. Um, my wife likes to go to country concerts, which for some reason is like double the cost of going to like a rock oh, so concert. So they hammer you because they get like three or four acts on the same bill, so then they can justify paying like, you know, charging 150 bucks to the ticket or something, which is what it is. It's brutal nowadays, but... Hey, that's that's a that's a mark of everything. It's a mark of a good economy. We're happy about that. But things are more expensive today. They will continue to be more expensive. And boy, if you're not keeping a pretty close eye on your finances, you are you're just going to feel the pain in January, February, March. We see it every year. Again, this is what this is. It's not trying to bring a bunch of people down during the holidays. But what we are saying is, if you want to make January and February and March more, um, just Less, I'll say it a different way, less mentally draining because that's really what we see is people come in, they just look exhausted mentally because they look at their finances after the holidays and they, they just, they're on the same track every single year. And so we're saying this year, break that track. And it's close to the holidays now, we get that. But maybe not a lot you can do about this holiday season, but you can definitely start on 2020's holiday season, starting in January, figure out what you need to start putting aside, do it, you'll be happy that you did it. Um, again, create that habit. Well, and we always say to our clients or our prospective clients that we help people get confidence and clarity around their finances. And I think that you'll feel the same thing once you look at your budget and you take control of your own budgeting. It's going to give you confidence and clarity in the fact that I know unforeseen things are going to happen, but the foreseen things, the things that we know about, we can take care of immediately, put that down in the budget, and then we have an emergency fund, and you can fund that emergency fund for things that you don't necessarily expect. And there are ways you can mitigate some of that, too, by utilization of certain insurances, things like that. Um, and we can do a future podcast on that, you know, home warranty or 
um, you know, having the right types of uh, insurance coverage for yourself and being able to cover your family, doing HSAs, things like that. There are a bunch of different great ways that you can plan for that as well. Yeah. I, I don't, um, Clint and I try not to limit ourselves in terms of the research we do and what we listen to and what we watch, uh, just to what we agree with, because obviously that, that creates an echo chamber and makes you somewhat narrow-sided. So I've been listening more to even uh, people we don't agree with, like Dave Ramsey and, and Susie Orman, just because I want to understand what's being said and what's being um illustrated by those people. They're not bad people by any means, and, and they help a lot of people. We don't necessarily agree with um, some of what they recommend, and if people want to speak more about that, please book an appointment and let us know, and we can go deeper down that path. But what I will say is this. I listened to a, a YouTube video with Dave Ramsey, and boy, he is not bashful about telling people, uh, you need to get on a budget, you need to watch your spending, and you need to understand that unplanned unexpected, unneeded expenses are exactly that. And I think that that's good advice. Again, don't agree with everything he says, but um, he is not afraid to say, hey, you've got to start tracking this stuff and you have to understand where your money's going. Um, it's not the most, uh, you know, holiday-ish uh, message that, uh, that people generally want to hear this time of year, but it's probably the most responsible message that they'll hear. Um, and uh, it's again, it's going to make your, your 2020 just get off to a much better start. Which one would you, which one of the two, Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman, are you avoiding at the holiday cocktail party because they're just going to tell you that you shouldn't even go out and have a pizza with your family? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I I would say I would, it would be for different reasons. Um, I think my, my issue with Dave Ramsey Again, it's not it's not that they haven't helped people. They have. They've helped a lot of people. You don't get to where those two people have gotten without having some sort of chops in terms of what you're doing. My issue with Dave Ramsey is that he um, he he oversimplifies things to the extent that he's uh, he's given recommendations on how to save or reallocate tens of thousands of dollars of people's salaries, like it's five dollars. And I just don't, I don't think that most people move that quickly or can, can wrap their head around that. And what it's, what it triggers to me is, um, is that response that people get when they get that hit of dopamine, uh, from doing something good, like a crash diet. And what happens at the end of a crash diet a month later, they're no longer on the crash diet and everything is back to normal. Why? Because it's too big of a move to make in too short of a period of time. And that's my critique on him. One of my critiques on him is that he wants you to change your, um, your, your financial world by thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars in literally like, you know, the, the, the snap of a finger. And it's just, you can't move that fast. So I don't disagree with the, with the, the methodology, or the, the advice itself, I have a big problem with how he says things like, well, just do this tomorrow. And you're like, well, people don't, that's not how people work. And, and, and if people can't get into kind of digestible, you know, bites, they're not going to, to stick with it. So my, my issue with him is the, is how long people would stay on that recommendation. My issue with Susie Orman is that she tells you to do five things and she herself does 10 other things. So I, I don't like the fact that she, it's been proven, and again, whether you believe it or not, um, the way she invests their money, the way she does things, the way she sees the world is not the advice that she's given to other people. 
And I, I have a, I have a little bit of a problem with that. I, I believe that your advisor, your doctor, your attorney, your accountant, you know, those people should live lives in a similar vein in which their clients live. Um, otherwise, what? How are you? How are you giving that advice? Well, that and the fact that neither one of them are registered as financial advisors, even though they're all providing financial advice. And so right. I think people don't understand that they're not held to the standard, the fiduciary standard that we are. Right. And I don't know if they should be or shouldn't be, but... Um, Just the, the people know that, though, I yes. think is the key. Like, people they should, should have know to give that. A disclaimer. They like, should have to give a disclaimer. I am not a fiduciary. Exactly. You're, but they, they don't really have to give those disclaimers like we would. If we right. were giving advice like Susie Arman and Dave Ramsey, first of all, we'd be out of business. Right. Uh, because some of the stuff they say uh, just would not fly with regulators. Um, and, and secondarily, we would have so many disclosures at the beginning of the program, we would barely be able to get through it. So. Because we are licensed, because we are fiduciaries, Correct. because yes. we have those distinctions, we'd be required to give a tremendous amount. So if you're not seeing those disclosures, it's not because that person chooses not to put them up there. It's because they're not licensed in a way that requires them to do that. That should be your first immediate indication that, hmm, not sure if this is the person I should generally take advice from. Um, that, along with the fact that they know nothing about your own personal situation. It's, it's very generalized advice, and so that's the other problem with it is that it tends to lump everybody in the same bucket and not take into consideration the fact that there's... I mean, for every client that Clint and I meet with and, and we have, every one of them has their own nuance and their own differences and needs to be handled slightly differently. That's exactly right. And maybe, you know... When I'm not doing this anymore as a financial advisor, maybe I'll just be an unregistered entity out there and I'll get blanket advice. And so maybe I shouldn't disparage them too much. If somebody's on the radio, please, please, people, just ask yourself the question, like, is, what does it take to get on the radio or on a, on a, on a uh, program like that? It's not as much as you would think. Don't get me going on this tangent. But just because somebody's on TV or on the radio does not give them... Uh, you know, the credentials uh, to be giving blanket advice to thousands, if not millions of people. That's exactly right. So just I'm now you, off my soapbox. Just because you call yourself a, you know, Dane County money person doesn't yes. mean that you know what you're talking about. Right. It, it's, uh, it's a title, people. It, it doesn't necessarily indicate, um, you know, any level of, of understanding of your personal situation and uh, that should be taken into consideration. So, all right, that's our little tangent for that's our that's our holiday tangent. There you go. So it's <laughs> happy holidays. <laughs> happy to you. holidays. Wow. It's our holiday <laughs> tangent. <right there. laughs> Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Um, okay. So, if you need help with any of these ideas, or if you want um, more tools that we can offer, budgeting tools, or hey, how do I get started with this? Or hey, this just all seems overwhelming, guys. What's my first step? Uh, that's why we're here. Please give us a call. Send us an email. We'll be happy to walk you through it. Uh, but in the meantime, have a happy holidays. Please spend time with your families and appreciate uh, all that you have. And we will talk to you again on another episode of Give Me Some Truth.
Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywise are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.